This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby's Nimer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. The killing of George Floyd has left us all in various states of shock, sadness, horror, disgust. But as a white person, I decided several days ago, I want to listen. And if you're a white person, I encourage you to listen. Listen to the black people that you know. Ask them if they would like to tell their stories. How have they been victims of racism? We don't want to believe it. We want to be the same. We want to have shared experiences with the black people we know. We want to feel like society's evolved and that we are all equal. But the color of your skin, I'm as much as we tell ourselves what we personally believe, is affecting people differently. So it's time to stop thinking that you might have the solution as a white person or that you uh, aren't racist, therefore everybody else is just like you. It's, um, it, it's, a, it's a very difficult conversation to have. And yet those of us who believe in equality and, and like very much the black people we know, we don't want to feel that there is still racism. But clearly, based on what we've seen the last week, there is. A leader in the GTA, Michael Clemens, Toronto Argos GM and motivational speaker and mentor, has talked of his pain and how racism has affected him. As a kid, I wrote a poem that said, stand up, boy, you don't sit there. You know you stand up, not sit in a chair. Hey, Blackie, I got some water. Do you want some? Or oh, I forgot, they don't drink water where you come from. Downrated, segregated, discriminated by others. We're hated because of our skin, not what's within. I wrote that in grade seven, and I don't remember it because I got a good memory. I remember it because it hurt. I remember the pain. And Michael Clemens is in his mid-50s, and he remembers that well from being a child. Our uh, phone lines, unfortunately, uh, are still being worked on. Otherwise, I would invite you to call, and uh, there will be an opportunity later in the week, certainly on Free For All Friday. But luckily, we've got our guests, two strong and respected black women in our own community. Marva Wisdom, one of the leads of the Black Experience Project, a seven-year research study of the lived experiences of the black community living and working in the GTA region, and a senior fellow at Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy. Marva, welcome. Thank you so much. And Amber Giro, associate producer here at MZTV, who I've also had the pleasure of working with here and at a different radio station, I guess for the last 20 years, Amber. That's right, Jane. It's been a long time. It has. I've known you for a long time. So I really appreciate you both coming on to tell your stories. Marva, why is it so important that these stories are told now? Oh, where do I start? I know. Um, I know. I can tell you that um, since last Thursday, and as you said earlier, and you're so right, you speak about uh, this happening before uh, where individuals have uh, looked at it and wondered whether 
this is real, whether uh, the lived experiences that they are hearing about, whether it is real, and um, the incidents, as frequent as uh, as they are, uh, it has not changed anything. Uh, one of the things I wrote to uh, friends of mine, and I have a number of people from all over who are sending messages to ask, how do I help? And one of the things I said is, it happens. And then I stop, I get upset, I get angry, I breathe, I exhale. I said, this is going to change. I'm going to work to raise awareness. And then I start living in hope and hope that change will happen because of what is going on. And then it starts again. And this is year over year over year over year. This time, it is different, but I fear that the hopefulness might come back again in a, in a year, in a few weeks, in a month, and then we start the cycle again. Why uh, do I think that this time it might be different? is the tone of those who are allies, who are contacting me, and I'm, uh, I imagine right across uh, the black community. And I have folks who are even sending a social contract of what they will do differently. I have folks who are saying that I have a choir of young people and I need to know how to talk to them. I have folks who say, I know my privilege and I understand my privilege now. And I need to unpack that so I can better understand and be a better advocate and a better ally. So this gives me a little bit more hope than in the past, hope that things will change. But it is now, and the pain is deep. I have a son, and the conversation with him is different, and his pain every day is real. I see it on his face. I see the transformation in him since this has happened. And he's an adult male with a successful business. I know how I feel. I feel worse than I've felt before whenever he leaves the house. And that is hard to live with. And we live with this on an ongoing basis. And it's deeper now. That's why. That's why this dialogue. That's why it's important. And that's why I appreciated receiving this call. Amber, uh, tell us uh, how you felt, if you, if you can put in words, uh, when you first viewed the video of George Floyd being murdered. Absolutely horrified. Horrified that you're sitting there watching someone's life drain from their souls, from their bodies, from their eyes, and as people stood there and pleaded for that officer to lift him up, to get off his neck, and... You know, I agree heavily with what Marva was saying. The pain runs deep. It runs so deep. And what bothered me most about this case, and I think what outraged so many people so much, is that we watched someone being murdered on video. Mm -hmm. And yet that same exact day, the person who murdered him got to go home and have a meal with his family and go and sleep in his own bed. And so when people look at the unrest that is happening south of the border, I do not agree with it. The violence, the rioting, absolutely, I do not agree with it. It needs to end. But the protest and the anger and the raw emotion of what is underneath it all and the fact that this has been going on time and time and time again, 
how many people do we have to see murdered on video before our lives matter as much as everybody else's? And that is the problem, and that is what's leading to the unrest today. Amber, do you feel comfortable if um, me as your white coworker friend, if I ask you about your experience, is this something you want to talk to me about? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's very few black people out there who wouldn't be willing to share our experience just to have someone understand, to have someone be able to know what it's like to be in this skin every day. I mean, recently I was speaking with a colleague, and this was before all of this happened, and I told him, every day I walk out of my door wearing the skin I'm in, and I feel the weight. As soon as I step outside as a black woman, I feel the heaviness. I know that there's at least two stores I'm going to walk into where a security guard or an employee is going to be watching me over the dozens of other shoppers in the area, I know that the likelihood of me being followed by police, just like last night, uh, is likely more than a lot of people. I was just taking my dogs to a local park to walk in the park, but these officers circled me a good three to four times before parking at the park and staying there the entire time I was there with my dogs. What with me with bright flashing lights and dogs at night looks suspicious, looks like I'm up to no good, but this is what happens every single day. Jane, you know yourself, I was on the job one day doing a report live on the air, phone in my hand to the newsroom where I was called the N-word by a City of Toronto employee. What happened to that City of Toronto employee? Sensitivity training. That's how much our lives matter. That's how much we've been considered in the past. And the fact that to this day, people are still being murdered on videotape for everybody to see with witnesses around pleading for their lives. And this is still happening and officers are still being sent home and not arrested. And we still have to wait days for charges. It's absolutely deplorable. Marva, you know, um, what Amber's talking about her experience, um, this, this is blatant. This is daily blatant racism. Yes, it is. It's, it's overt. Um, in the Black Experience Project, uh, Amber's story, uh, a few years ago, uh, one would say that, uh, you know, some of these are anecdotes, right? Our colleagues, um, those who have not experienced what we've experienced, those who have not been in our skin, will say, you know, that's an exaggeration or that's an isolated case mm-hmm. or it was that one individual. But we know that this is systemic and we have research to bear that out. Since the Black Experience Project, there have been a number of other research available um, across across any community for whomever would want to take a look to say that here are the statistics. And we understand what is anecdotal. Sometimes it's difficult to work with. Thank goodness for video these days, because this has been happening before. We just didn't have the video. Let's face it. It was happening before. Mm-hmm. We just didn't know about it because we didn't have the social media that we have now. But if you are to make change and you want real hard evidence, you have real hard evidence. There is no excuse now for our policing community, for any organization, government organization or otherwise, to not have proper training and proper recruitment so that those who serve the public are respectful, are doing it for the right reason are not coming in with a chip on their shoulders that they have to take out on everyone else. And worse, 
that we have leaders, and I won't mention the leader across in the United States, but there are leaders, whether they are as high as, as the president or a prime minister or someone on the job who are in that role, and no one is calling them out on their behaviors. And when you have leadership that is bereft of humanity, bereft of empathy, you have what is happening now. You have a continuity so that my granddaughter will have to live through this. And I am at the point now where I am saying enough is enough. I can tell you, as a black woman, as Amber says, there have been times when I think, can I say this publicly? Can I go farther with this and how I am feeling and what my experience has been without risking my livelihood or risking others around me in their roles? And how, how and have you... At the age, sorry, at the age and stage where I am, I am saying it doesn't matter what happens with me because the change has to happen now. So based on that thought, what would you want to share that makes you feel hesitant to share? Um, I, I mean, <laughs> there there is nothing hesitant for me to share um, right now at all. I, I will share with myself. Um, I have experienced what Amber has experienced. I have experienced um, being in a supervisory role uh, way back when in my early career, and um, and uh, being on the floor of a, a large retail store. And supervising others, when my brother, who was a teenager then, comes by to visit me, and before he walked into the department, uh, security guard descend, security descended on him, and they were watching him. So I started watching them watch him. Uh-huh. And then I walked over, and I said, why are you watching that young man over there? And they said, he looks suspicious. And I said, why do you say he looks suspicious? You started watching him as soon as he walked into the department. And they said, well... You know, we saw him and we figured, we think he's going to steal something. And I said, that's my brother. He just came to visit me, and I saw you starting to watch him. And that was earlier on. And I can tell you of many, many incidents, whether it's with my son or with others that I know or with myself, where we have experienced overt racism, microaggression. I have been told um, openly um, that, as a black person, I have no place um, in in a public uh, in a in a public role, and I'm not going to give you the exact quote because it's more political than anything else. Uh, but when I learned of that, I was in shock, and I was also in shock that there were individuals that could have said something different or had a conversation with me, and they didn't. And they just sort of let it go. And I thought, if you know me as well as you do, and you didn't stand up for me or even have a conversation with me, what kind of world am I in? I started my consultancy because the changes were not happening that needed to happen. I started my consultancy in inclusion because I needed to get out of the formalized structure uh, where I might be curtailed in speaking up and in speaking out. And I can tell you there are many people who decided to go off on their own and make their own, chart their own course because the change was not happening within organizations uh, the way it needed to happen. And because no matter what they did, uh, the racism 
the systemic racism, the interpersonal racism, the microaggression, it just weighs on you. It's heavy and it's continuous. We are having a conversation about systemic racism here in Toronto, not in the United States, right here in our city, here in the GTA. And joining us for the half hour, Marva Wisdom, one of the leads of the Black Experience Project. It's a seven-year research study of the lived experiences of the Black community living and working in the GTA. She's also a senior fellow at Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy, along with Amber Giro, journalist and associate producer here at MZTV. Amber Marva, uh, when I, I just want to read you a quote from Masai Ujiri's op-ed in the Globe and Mail yesterday. So many of you are asking, what can I do? There's a sense of helplessness, but that must not paralyze us. Your voice matters, especially when you are a leader or influential figure and especially if you are white. Leaders have to be bold enough to state the obvious and call out racism. Marva, how do you react to that? And how, how can you add to that, your voice, your guidance? Absolutely. That is absolutely uh, right on target as Messiah is speaking openly about even in his uh, position of leadership and power that his experience is similar to all of our experiences. I'm going to share with you um, very briefly something that um, someone sent to me. I made a post on Facebook, and I posted with the hashtag, A Mother's Heart. And it was about um, my son and how how I would want to see him treated and the experience, some of the experiences that he has had. And her response to me was this. I will continue to work to unlearn anti-black racism. Um, I will greet your son with a hug, you know, when we can hug. We can't hug right now because of COVID-19. She knows him, so she can say that. She said, to the other black I don't know, I will greet them with positivity in the street. I will use my whiteness to speak out when powers won't hear black voices. I will support black organizations and black people in our community following their lead. I will watch and videotape police when I see them interacting with black people. I will share the results of the Black Experience Project. I will talk to other white people about racism. I offer myself and someone you can call upon to ask for help or support if you need it. And I'm a pretty good hugger. Her name is Bethany Lipsis, and Bethany is a spoken word poet and a friend, a young woman. And um, I'm receiving these kinds of messages of support, of really support, and learning. One of the most important things to do is to learn, to listen, to read, and to understand, and to really stand up when someone says something, even though it sounds innocent, and it will hurt someone else. Say something about it. Explain to them that it is wrong. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, when it's, you see wrongness. I, that's something that I have done in re, more in, in recent years. But if somebody, and it doesn't happen very often in my circle of friends because they're my friends for a reason. But if somebody says something that's even just a little bit sounds racist, I just say that's not funny. That's not funny. I don't. I don't appreciate that joke. I, and you can see, you, you feel the tension in the room. But it, it takes. It's hard to do that. But the more you do it, the easier it is. 
And that's a great place to start, Jane. I mean, that's where you have to start. You have to start with yourself. We all do. Uh, we all have to make sure to kind of police our own circle of friends, police ourselves, think about some of the racist thoughts that may pop up in all of our minds. It starts with us. But the reality is, is that it, we have to look to our municipal leaders, our provincial leaders, our federal leaders as well to step up and highlight this. And, and work with us, work with members of the black community, work with all communities of color to deal with this. Because, frankly, the badge is not a shield from crime, and it's time that it was removed as such. And we have to make sure that this goes in through our police services throughout the country, that we start there. I mean, you really have to start there. The badge should not shield any officer from a crime. And so I think that's really a good place to start. And what about, you know, I think about um, young adults who've been brought up with parents who have no problem making racist jokes and the attitudes they've taken on at the age of 20. How do we how do we work with that generation? How do we change that mindset, Amber? Honestly, it has to be about building communities and bringing them together. People aren't going to drop their ignorances unless they see and their eyes are open to the reality. And, and bringing the communities together. There are a lot of 20 years old olds out there, and it scares me to death to think this, uh, that are being raised, who are being taught racist, uh, prejudicial things. And it's, it's, it's horrible. But you're, you're not going to open people's eyes by yelling at them and, and, you know, pointing out how racist they are. You have to, have to bring groups together, bring communities together and show that we are all one people. We all bleed the same color. So let's start treating each other like that. Marva, we have about a minute or so left. Any final thoughts? Jane, I think one of the things that can happen, I know that in, in working on the, the Black Experience Project, uh, policing their leaders who want change to happen. And I'm asking them now and reaching out to them now. Um, the change will need to start with how they recruit and how they train and who they recruit and who they train to become police mm-hmm. officers. Uh, we stand with those in policing who want change to happen, who wants to have a truly representative force uh, that respects all human beings. And we want allyship throughout our communities. We want to reach out to you with open arms to say that we are here and we are ready and we need you to stand with us to make this change happen. And Ember is really correct when she talks about our leaders and our leadership and and for them to stand with us as well. Marva, where can your contact information find out more about your project? Uh, you can find it at www.theblackexperienceproject.ca. Say that again. And you can www theblackexperienceproject.ca Okay, theblackexperienceproject.ca And Amber, I just uh, half a minute, is there anything you'd like to add? I just think, you know what, we as black people and just Canadians all around the country just need to start standing up and saying enough is enough. I mean, you know, we love each other, we need to join together and we need to show that racism has no place in our society and we're not going to allow it. If we don't allow it, it cannot perpetuate. Right. Absolutely. Thank you both. I really, really appreciate your time in the conversation. Thank, Thank you, Dean. This was great. Thank you for the opportunity. Marva Wisdom, one of the leads of the Black Experience Project and a senior fellow at Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy, and Amber Giro, longtime journalist and now associate producer here at MZTV. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. 
You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.